You're listening to Life with Impact. Join us as we continue to rediscover the heart of Jesus together. Well, hey, Impact, thanks for joining us. If you are watching this on YouTube or on our our website, then I already had the chance to welcome you. But for those that are tuning in via a podcast, welcome. I'm so thankful and so stoked that you would uh, tune in to hear what's going on here at Impact. Let me remind you that check out our social media, Instagram, Facebook. uh, It's at Life with Impact. Our website, likewise, is Life with Impact. Dot com. Find out what's going on. Go to our website. Click our events page. Find a way for you to engage us and hang out with us. Uh, you can also go to our website and find out what do we believe? Why do we believe that? Who's our staff? And anything you want to know about Impact. You can also, on the homepage, shoot us a, a, an email on the contact that just lets us know how to pray for you. If there's something going on in your world, then it would it, it would it'd mean a lot to you to have your church family praying for you. We would love to be praying for you. Don't forget to check out the events page. I know I already mentioned it, but just to let you know a few things that's going on. We have a movie night coming up. We've got the Gobble Wobble coming up on Thanksgiving Day. Uh, We've got all all kinds of stuff. So if you're tuning in via podcast, go to our website or social media and get plugged in. If you're watching this and you are are still doing it distance like this because of your concern and your caution for COVID, then continue to do this. Man, I'm I'm just so stoked that we have this option. We didn't have this option pre-COVID, and now we have an opportunity for you to stay plugged in because we're doing this virtually. If you are not staying at arm's length because of COVID costumes, but just because it's easier, let me encourage you and even challenge you to come back indoors, gather together. Like we need your help investing in our church, showing up and helping with children's ministry, with student ministries, be a, be a, be a greeter, be, be uh, sit in the production booth, play in the band, sing on the stage. Every weekend, we get to be the hands and feet of Jesus to our church at 8299 East Stockton Boulevard, and we can't do that unless we have folks like you showing up and being a part. So we are at limited capacity in our ability of what we can offer because we are limited in our volunteers. So consider helping us fix that. Week four. Week four of our series called Help Mom Believe. We're having honest conversations about doubt. So in week one, I invited us to consider that doubt can be a good thing. One of the points that stuck out to me was that permission to doubt is an invitation to discover. And I looked at John the Baptist when doubt settled in. He went to the source and Jesus met him and affirmed him even though he doubted and called him the greatest man in all the land while he was still doubting. We learned in week one that doubting doesn't disqualify us. In fact, it can be a milestone for us. In week two, I kind of said the opposite of that message, and I shared a message that says, but when we doubt, we better do the work to, to reconcile it, because doubt left undealt with can just really begin to unravel our faith, and we begin to maybe the, the expectations that, that failed us, that caused us to doubt, if we don't deal with those, doubt can settle in and it can begin to undo the things that we believe to be true for so long. And now we just wonder, was there any truth to it at all? Well, week two was an important week. If you missed it, go check it out. And the last week, you can also check this out on our website or on a podcast, wherever you stream those. My wife talked last week on week three about what happens when doubt and despair collide. What a what a partner and what a pair that doubt and despair is. And it causes us to do some things. And it's important in those intersections of doubt and despair that what we choose to do is the right move because that is a volatile combination where we need to be aware of how do we move forward. This weekend, I'm going to talk about doubt and conflict. And for starters, here is a clip, a phone conversation between President Lyndon B. Johnson and his national security advisor, Mac Bundy. I want you to listen in on this phone conversation recorded all the way back 50 years ago. I'll tell you, the more I just stayed awake last night thinking about this thing, the more I think of it, I don't know what in the hell. Uh, it looks like me, we're getting into another Korea. It just worries the hell out of me. I don't see what we can ever hope to get out of there with once we're committed. Once I believe the Chinese communists coming into it. I don't think that we can fight them 10,000 miles away from home and ever get anywhere on uh, in that area. 
I don't think it's worth fighting for, and I don't think we can get out. And it's just the biggest mess. It is. So. It's an awful mess. And we just got to think about. To, I look at this sergeant of mine this morning. Got six little old kids over there, and he's getting out my things and bringing me in my night reading and all that kind of stuff. And I just thought about ordering those kids in there. there. And what in the hell am I ordering him out there for? One what thing that is Vietnam worth to me. What is Laos worth to me? What is it worth to this country? Now we have to now get we a got a treaty, but still, we got a treaty, but hell, uh, everybody else got a treaty out there, and they're not doing anything about it. Yeah. Yeah. Now, of course, if you start running the communists, they may just chase you right in your own kitchen. Yeah. That's the trouble. And well, that is what the rest of the, uh, that half of the world is going to think if this thing comes apart on us. That's, that's the dilemma. That's exactly the dilemma. Uh, this is a terrible thing we're getting ready to do. Mr. President, I just think it's the biggest, it's the only big decision in one sense that was, has, this one is one we're having either, we either reach up and get it or we let it go by, and I'm not telling you today what I'd do in your position. I just think most we have to do is to pray with it for another while. Most we have to do is to pray with it for another while. Most we have to do it, most we have to do it, most we have to do it. Pray with it for another while. Pray with it. And I can't imagine the gravity, the weightiness of those conversations. And, and, and one of the, I guess, comforting things is that President Lyndon B. Johnson, it says in the early part of that clip that he laid awake at night, just restless as doubt crept in about what is he doing? You know, the Vietnam War is the war that they're talking about. It's arguably the most controversial war in American history. Most historians would agree that it's one of the few wars that we lost. And lots of America wondered why were we there and should we even be there? And Lyndon B. Johnson laid in bed tossing and turning as doubt crept into, is he sure that the, the moves that he's making in this conflict and in this war he began to realize there's more at stake than maybe what he thought there was. And him and Mac Bundy have a conversation where I love one of the things that President Johnson says when he's referring to one of his sergeants. And he says that his sergeant, there's six kids. He says, what are they worth to me? What is Laos worth to me? And he began to realize that there could be some casualties of war that... They, they don't show up in a budget report. So there's some casualties of war that might not make the discussion in a war room setting. There are casualties of war that cause President Johnson to doubt whether or not he should move forward in the ways that he had been moving forward. And you and I today can talk about doubt in our conflict. I mean, I think at some level we would all agree this is some of the most divided and conflicted times in American history, maybe even global history. And in my 40 years, I'm not, not to say that these things haven't always divided, but per, I think we could all agree that when it comes to the, the, the gap that is divided in the political gap, in the racial gap, socioeconomic gap, and now even dealing with things that like vaccinations and masks and healthcare, and the, the, the gap there is so wide. And I wonder if it wouldn't do us good to consider with some doubtful empathy and some doubtful compassion what is really at stake in the conflicts that we find ourselves in. I mean, we live in a time with just crazy amounts of uncertainty. Like, you know, I remember in the early days, even trying to navigate the, the church and should we reopen or should we stay closed? And and they, the, the mandate would be lifted only for it to go back again. And then there'd be a certain restriction limits. And then that would go away. And there'd be new ones. And it was always changing. We were trying to keep up. If you're like me, I walk into a gas station or a restaurant. And, and I'm like, I'm scanning the room. My eyes darting the room trying to see what their value position is on things like masks. Because I don't want to upset anybody. I don't want to. I just want to try to honor those that are there. And it's ever changing. Maybe you've been like double ducks trying to get into a conversation but you just feel like if you get in it's going to get tangled up pretty quickly you know by the the volatility of the types of things that can get discussed we can cross into a conversation and not really realize that we just upset somebody it's hard to keep track of everything that is changing it reminds me of a story of when Impact Community Church first hired me and my family was coming here I, I came by myself my family came about three or four weeks later and I left in January. It was freezing cold, one of the worst winter storms in Ohio history. And that's the trip that I, I came out on. I could have done it in three days, but 
I decided to make a sightseeing trip out of it, so I did it in like seven or eight days. And I'd pick a city I wanted to go to every night, and I'd drive there and spend the night, maybe go to a concert, check out a bar, and, and kind of get to know the city a little bit. I was in Denver on one of the nights, and I was walking the streets of Denver trying to find somewhere to eat, and I came across this intersection. There was a Rite Aid on the corner, and a homeless man said to me, hey, will you run in there and buy me? They wouldn't let him in because he was homeless. So he said, will you run in there and buy me a Black and Mild, like a little cigar? I said, yeah, of course, dude. So I went into the the, the, the Rite Aid. We bought him a four-pack of Black and Milds, went out there, and I gave it to him. I said, hey, man, God bless you, brother. Like, I hope you have an amazing day. And, and he shook my hand. And clearly we know it was pre-COVID because nowadays we don't shake people's hands. But he shook my hand. I was wearing gloves. I was wearing cotton gloves, actually cotton fingerless gloves. And when he shook my hand, he turned around and walked the other way. I looked down at my hand, and it was a the dankest, largest uh, piece of herb. And I don't mean thyme or paprika that I had ever seen. It, I think you could smell it from a, a block and a half away. It needed to be uh, ground up and smoked. It was still in in flower form. And I wasn't much of a smoker. I come from Ohio. It's illegal. And I look up, just as two police officers are coming across the street, and I've got this thing stuck to my glove. Imagine like one of the, when you're at the beach, and it's this this round Velcro deal that you have on your hand, and the tennis ball type thing, and it sticks there. That thing was stuck to my hand just like that. So I, I raced to the trash can on the corner to, to try to shake it off because I didn't I didn't want the, the cops to see me with weed. And, and, and so when the cops saw me, and they were getting closer, I just decided to just part with the glove entirely. So I ripped my glove off, and I threw it in the trash can, and as the cops came by. I was like, hello, officer. Lovely day we're having. Good to see you. And they, they continued to walk, but I was scared, so scared to death that I'd be busted with that weed that I threw my glove in there on a freezing cold day in Denver, Colorado. Well, maybe you know, and maybe you already knew this before me, but Denver, Colorado, like all the rest of Colorado, had legalized weed before this point. And so I didn't have to be scared of having that weed in my glove. I could have gingerly or casually saved my glove and then deposited it into the trash can. Likewise, I was on my way to California and I had a, a concealed carry. So I, I had a concealed carry license. And, and from Ohio to get to California, that concealed carry license was good in every single state. But when I got to California, that concealed carry license was no good anymore. So if I got caught with that gun in California, I didn't have a license to carry. So every single state line, I had to Google and see if it's good here in this state. I, that reminds me so much of us trying to navigate the volatile relational waters, the, the lines that divide us, the things that the conversational lines that we can step into, not really knowing what are the rules and regulations for you. What are the what do you how, what do you believe to be true about this? And before we have the opportunity to do the work, we find ourselves in a, a challenging situation. And I wonder, I wonder if maybe some of us have discarded relationships because we didn't know exactly how to handle it. Maybe we didn't know exactly how to manage the interactions that we were having, so we popped off on social media. We posted what we thought would be a funny meme, but also what actually what it did was we ended up trashing or hurting a relationship that mattered to us because of the ever-evolving climate that is constantly changing. And like rules that happen from state to state, we can be from relationship to relationship and the rules of engagement be completely different. These are challenging times. There's a, maybe you know the Andy Griffith show, Barney Fife. Barney Fife has, he's known for having one bullet. His bullet goes right there in his pocket. And so if, if, if Mayberry was to be under attack, Barney Fife would have one shot. He'd have to pull that thing out. He'd have to make the most of it. Barney Fife had one shot, no matter what the conflict was so that he could make a difference with his one shot. And there are times maybe you're like me, you wish you could line up five people in a row and take your one shot. But I'm not talking about that kind of shot. I'm talking about a different kind of weapon, in quotes, a weapon that we can use in conflict to, what's our one shot? If we had one shot to load up and to respond and to react, what would that be? Well, First Corinthians, 13 tells us a little bit about what that one shot might be. And I'll read out of the message, 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy, but I don't love, I'm nothing but the creaking of a rusty gate. If I speak God's word with power, revealing all of his mysteries and making everything plain as day. If I have faith that says to a mountain, jump, and it jumps, and I don't love, I'm nothing. I mean, it's worth just stopping there and saying, 
if I speak, when I think of like speaking with human eloquence, like some kind of Shakespearean play or angelic ecstasy, we speak with angelic ecstasy. The angels that showed up and would give the very will of God, like, for instance, an angel that appeared to Mary and said, she's with child and she's with child and his name is Jesus. If we could speak with that kind of authority and we didn't love, it'd be like a, the, the, the noisiness headache of a, cr- a rusty, creaky gate even though we could do it with authority and with power. And then the next verse says, if I speak with, if I speak God's word with power, the Bible says in another passage that God's word won't return void. Meaning when we share God's word, it doesn't, it's not stamped back useless or, or without effect. God's word will always go forth with power. And even if we speak God's word with power, somehow revealing all of his mysteries and making everything plain as day. We have enough faith that says to a mountain, jump, and it jumps, which means we are revealing the power of God, revealing the power that our faith has. If we do all of those things, but we don't love, it says, I am nothing. If I give everything I own to the poor and even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but I don't love, I've gotten nowhere. So no matter what I say, what I believe, and what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. Can I say that again? thinking about the things that divide us. So no matter what I say, what I believe, and what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. Love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut. It doesn't have a swelled head. It doesn't force itself on others. It isn't always me first. It doesn't fly off the handle. It doesn't keep score of the sins of others. Love doesn't revel when others grovel. And it takes pleasure in the flowering of truth. It puts up with everything, anything. It trusts God always, always looks for the best, never looks back, but keeps going to the end. Paul says at the end of 1 Corinthians 13, love never dies. Inspired speech will one day be over. Praying in tongues will end. Understanding will reach its limit. We only know a portion of the truth now. And what we say about God is always incomplete. But when the complete arrives, our incompletes will be canceled. But for right now, until that completeness, we have these three things to do to lead us towards that consummation. There are three things that's pointing us to completeness in Jesus. This particular version in the message says, trust steadily in God, hope unswervingly, and love extravagantly. And the best of these three is love. Another verse says, in these three abide, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Faith, being Romans, says it's the vehicle to where we get to Jesus. We're saved by grace through faith. So the very vehicle that gets us to Jesus, love is better than that. Hope, the Bible talks all through the New Testament and the Old Testament that that Jesus is a hope for our souls, an ever-present help. We've talked about that over the last couple weeks, but even more valuable than the hope that we have, the hope of heaven and our hope in Jesus, even more viable than that. If you could only choose one, the one you should choose is love. And I wonder, in the lens of conflict, if you and I should reconsider What's at stake in the conflicts that we have? I wonder if we should let some doubt creep into maybe the way we are engaging people, maybe the way we are planning our steps in this war of conflict that we find ourselves in as the church. I wonder if like Lyndon B. Johnson, if we shouldn't say, well, what do they matter to me? What do they matter to us? What do they matter to God? And we get one shot and our shot is love. If you've got one shot greater than faith, greater than hope, go with love. Love is the lens that widens our vision to see the need in the perspective of others. I just had a, a difficult conversation with a friend of mine just before I started recording this. And and I prefaced it having done this message kind of saying, if I could ask you out of your love for me to put these, my lens on, just so you can see through my lens, because love is able to do that. Love is the lens that widens our vision to see the need and the perspective of others. Love is the word that brings peace to troubled relational waters. That In the midst of the conflict, love shows up and speaks a sense of peace to those relational waters that are troubled. Love is the embrace that reminds someone that they are known and that they are seen and that they matter. Love is the time that you spend. It's the text or the email that you send. And it's the hurting person that you befriend. And that you and I befriend, I don't know, maybe you can think about that time when just that perfectly timed act of love, that gesture of love that came at just the right time, the email, the text, the phone call, the card, the hug, the are you okay, that well-timed gesture of love can make all of the difference. We get sometimes one shot. Church planners, you know, if you're, if you're, if you want to plan a church, you want to go to a leadership conference, you want to 
You want to sit in a room of pastors. I can pretty much promise you, if you're talking about church growth, and you're using the Bible as, as, a, as a starting point for the conversation or an anchor in the conversation, at some point in time, you're going to come to the book of Acts. Acts is when the church was first established. So the New Testament goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then it's Acts. And Acts picks up, right? So the Gospels is the life of Jesus, the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, the storyline of the Gospel. And then Acts starts with now the disciples and the followers of Jesus from the time were tasked with establishing the church now based on what Jesus had done. Jesus had done the work and now it was up to us. It was up to the early followers of Jesus to establish what is the first church, the church that now you and I are beneficiaries of. So I want to pick up in Acts chapter 2. This would be a pretty common passage of scripture if you were going to be at a church planning conference. In Acts 2.37, it starts with when they heard this, they were crushed. And to give you some context, what they were hearing was Peter sort of talk about the things that he had seen. You have to keep in mind that they didn't have the New Testament, right? It wasn't written yet. What they had was the story of what Jesus had done. Like they had the they had some of the Old Testament prophetic books, the things that, that foretold of Jesus' coming, but the Gospels weren't written because they were living it. And so what, what they were telling is they were telling the story of Jesus to the things they had seen with their own eyes and to the, the encounters that they had experienced with their own lives. And Peter's access is, is, picks up where Peter's telling the story. In verse 37, it says, when they heard this, they were crushed and realized what they had done to Jesus. Deeply moved, they said to Peter and the other apostles, what do we do? What, what do we need to do, brothers? Peter replied, repent, return to God, and each one of you must be baptized in the name of Jesus, the anointed one, the holy one, to have your sins removed. Then you may take hold of the gift of the Holy Spirit, for God's promise of the Holy Spirit is for you and for your families and for those yet to be born, and for everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Peter's preaching. He's telling the story of Jesus. He's now saying, this, this is, you're, you're invited into this storyline that God has opened up for you. Verse 40 says, Peter preached to them and warned them with these words, be rescued from the wayward and perverse culture of the world. Those who believed in 41 says the word that day numbered 3,000. Verse 41 says, those who believed that word that day numbered 3,000, 3,000 people. They were all baptized and they were all added to the church. Imagine if from this Sunday to next Sunday, you show up and 3,000 people are in our parking lot because we told the story of Jesus and 3,000 people were baptized and responded. That would be amazing. A couple of verses later in Acts 2.47, it says they were continually filled with praises to God, enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord kept adding to their number daily those who were coming to life. Well, just to give you some context, the people that are being added daily, the ones that are coming to life, the ones that Peter is preaching to are the Gentiles, the Romans, the very ones that they had crucified Jesus, the ones that screamed to crucify him, the ones that screamed and mocked and ridiculed and tortured him now have been opened up to the storyline of the gospel. When Jesus said from the cross, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Now Peter and then the other apostles had to continue that storyline by engaging people who they had very little in common with. The spontaneous explosion of the church in the early days that now you and I are beneficiaries of is because Peter and the other apostles had to overlook the things that they didn't agree on. And there were lots of things that they didn't agree on. And on top of that, they witnessed visually firsthand watch these people that now are being opened up to the gospel completely stand against everything that they gave their lives for but they had one shot and peter wasn't going to waste that one shot talking about socioeconomics or political postures Peter wasn't going to waste that shot talking about the different and, and, and the Jewish law and the violence and unfairness of the Roman Empire. He wasn't going to try to explain circumcision and uncircumcision and the Old Testament law versus the law that Jesus came to establish, the law of grace. Peter, all he had was one shot to say, you are loved, you are invited into the storyline of the gospel. That's what he led with because he had to, like Mr. Johnson had to go what do these people matter to me? What do these people matter to Jesus? And then when he was given one shot, he went with the shot of love, the shot of the storyline of the gospel. Having worked in and around the church for more than 20 years, I, I know the importance of, of using our gifts, right? I've hired a lot of people. I've sat in a lot of 
boardroom meetings as we've gone through pastor searches. And at my last church, I, I was on a staff. I probably led a staff of about 20, 25 people in the creative arts ministry. And when you're doing any kind of hiring, you're looking for the most talented, the most gifted, the most skillful. I think we can learn from Acts that maybe the church has been doing it wrong. I'm not saying that it's not important to hire gifted people, but what the world needs from the church is not for us to hire the most gifted people. What the world needs is for us to employ people that recognize that the greatest thing they can do is not to put their gifts on display, but it's to put Jesus Christ in the, the reckless, no, never-ending, overwhelming, reckless love of God on display because we learn from Acts. What can impact? Learn from Acts, number one, if you show up with God's love, God will show up with his power. If I was to get up on stage and, and, and give you just a, a demonstration of whatever gifts I do or don't have, you'll leave that day. You'll either like me or don't like me. But if I show up on that stage and I share with you the, the what Jesus did for you, the love of the Father, the meeting you right then and there, when I share the love of God, then God shows up with his power. And that's what happened in the early church. The early church didn't explode because they had gifted people. The early church exploded because people got their hearts and minds around what God had done to invite them into the storyline of the gospel. When we show up with God's love, God will show up with his power. Secondly, what can we learn? Impact. We can learn that people don't need you to fix them nearly as much as they need you to love them. And we are so good at fixing people, right? Yeah, if you do this, 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 and you'll be fine. Or we want to make sure everybody knows what our opinions are on everything. This might not be for you, but this is the things that I wrote down as I was preparing. Dustin Burke, quit fixing people. Quit trying to change their mind. Quit taking every opportunity to try and squeeze in our opinions on every issue. Love. Just love. I was listening to a podcast last week. I actually ended up sharing it with our, our leadership staff. It, it was it was basically one one well-known pastor. He's a pastor in Texas, and he actually is the president of an organization called Acts 29, which is the, one of the largest church planning organizations in the country. And it's called Acts 29 because there's only, actually only tw 28 chapters in Acts. But I mentioned Acts is where we go to talk about church planning in the early church. And so his organization believes that they're the chapter that we're writing today in the book of Acts on how to be that type of church. And and so it's a, it's a podcast on, on how do we lead? How, how do pastors and leaders lead in these challenging times? He he talks about over and over and over again how many pastor friends have had to let go and lay off and downsize because of this pandemic that we're in. How do we lead through that? He talks about this rule of thirds where our churches have about a third of the people in them that they used to. He breaks it down to say a third of the people are more bought in, more sold out, more in love with your church than ever before. A third of your people are kind of stuck somewhere in limbo. And he says a third of your people are just never going to come back because we are in a new era. One of the things that Matt Chandler says that I want us to lean into today is that our greatest invitation to now to be the church is that we have a new invitation for apologetics. Apologetics is a word that we use to describe the, the, the intellectual arguments that we use to defend our faith. Apologetics is sort of this, this organized understanding of what we believe so that when someone doesn't know what we believe, we can articulate it in a way that can clarify the mysterious reality of our, of our of theology and of faith. And apologetics is, has many times had all kinds of wildly controversial hurdles that, that biblical scholars have tried to figure out. And he has something important to say about our apologetics today. And he says that it's one of the most exciting times ever to be the church. And I tend to subscribe to it. Listen to this. And the the good news for us as Christians, because man, I'm, I think we're born for this moment. Uh, I think church is in the perfect spot to solve the ills mm -hmm. of this present crisis. If we would play the part. Yeah. Like how, <clears throat> How low is the bar of apologetics right now? I mean, think about it. Yeah. It, it's not, you remember Keller, everybody having to like figure out presuppositional apologetics and, <laughs> and then before that, trying to have to answer where the dinosaurs came from and <laughs> like, what does it look like to just be kind yeah. and to not participate in the outrage, hmm. to show hospitality and walk in authenticity? Mm -hmm. That is a powerful apologetic in 2021. Yeah. Just refuse to give in to the outrage. Like, and I mentioned Ted Lasso. I, I love the show. The, the popularity of that show shows the hunger of the human heart 
towards optimism. Yeah. That yeah. even as the world's burning down and you just lost the game five nil, yeah. where, where are you? Right. <laughs> you, you see that there's a, there's a better day. There's another day coming tomorrow. And I think people are so hungry, so outraged, fatigued yeah. that to get into a community that refuses to participate in the outrage, I think is a powerful apologetic. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm just not sure the church knows how to do it. What a sobering statement. Kindness, authenticity, generosity is a powerful apologetic. I'm just not sure the church knows how to do it. Man, when I heard that in a car somewhere in Southern California at a leadership conference last week, I resonated with that. The invitation, the opportunity that we had to be the church. Then, in fact, if you think again at these, the, the, the Romans, the J Romans and Jews had nothing in common, but the explosion of the church happened because they took their one shot to not make the issues that divide the main idea, but to make the apologetic of love the main idea, the apologetic of, of inclusiveness and, and an invitation to belong, that you are also now invited and you can belong. Uh, he said that people are so outraged, fatigued, and our invitation is just to not subscribe to it, to not let the outrage be a part of our churches, to not let the division be a part of our churches in this current climate. What is the most important thing we can do to bridge the questions and doubts and unbelief outside of this wall is love, the apologetic of love, the proof that everything we say, we post, what's in our website, our value statement, our mission. You want to prove that? You want to help us prove that? We approve that with the apologetic of kindness, and authenticity and generosity and just being the kind of people that demonstrate the love of God that is our one shot and I would ask us again what do the people on the other side of this conflict what do they matter to me and what do they matter to you if we would have if the Rome if the if Peter and his friends would have made the issues that divide more important than the gospel of Jesus we'd have no book of Acts we'd have no explosion in the early church. There's another passage that I, I want to take us to. It's it's actually uh, it's still in Acts, but it's in Acts chapter 10. It It's actually Peter got invited to go to a Roman centurion's house. They have to keep in mind that Peter had just had, a, you know, not too long ago, had a lot of encounters with Roman centurions. He might have had some PTSD from him engaging the guys that are wearing those uniforms. Remember, he chopped the dude's ear off and Jesus put it back on. He he watched Roman, R Roman guards just march Jesus down the street ultimately to be crucified. And he got invited to go to a house of a Roman centurion. And in Romans chapter, or Acts chapter 10, verse 27, they talked together and then they went inside where Peter found a large gathering waiting to hear his words at a Roman centurion's house. And Peter said to them, you all know that this is against the Jewish laws for me to associate with or even visit the home of one who is not a Jew. And he says, yet God showed me that I should never view anyone as inferior or ritually unclean. So when you sent for me, I came without objection. Peter says, you know, the rules of engagement, the rules in our conflict, the, the rules of this war, so that we are at odds with each other. But Peter says, I lay awake last night. I, I couldn't sleep last night. And it began to dawn on me that you matter to me, that what Jesus did matters to me. And he said, I had to revisit the rules of engagement that I initially adopted and that what so many of my friends adopted, I had to let some doubt creep in and maybe this isn't the best way. Maybe when it comes to conflict, there's things at stake that I don't want to major on the wrong things or there could be some casualties that we can avoid if we revisit with some doubt and some concern and some empathy and some compassion about the way we are taking our one shot to engage the world. And Peter said, I decided to do that. And I'll tell you the story. From that point on in the book of Acts, Peter just shares his story, his lens, what happened. And then in verse 44 of Acts chapter 10, while Peter was speaking, the Holy Spirit cascaded over all those listening to his message, the Jewish brothers and sisters, who had accompanied Peter were astounded that the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out on people who weren't Jews. His own friends were astounded that the Holy Spirit chose to show up on people that weren't Jews, for they heard them speaking in supernaturally given language and passionately praising God. His own friends 
We're like, Peter, this isn't the way we do this. This isn't the rules of engagement. But Peter said, yeah, but I began to ask myself, what do they matter to me? What do they matter to Jesus? That the Lamb of God would receive the reward from his suffering. Peter said, I decided to reconsider the things that divided us and to take my one shot and show them the love of God. And his friends didn't take it very lightly because he got back home. He was still catching flat for it. In Acts 11, this is just the very next passage. It's from the end of 10 to verse 1 of chapter 11 in Acts. The news traveled fast and no one, and in no time, the leaders and friends back in Jerusalem heard about it. They heard that non-Jewish outsiders were now in. When Peter got back to Jerusalem, some of his old associates called him on the carpet. What do you think you're doing rubbing shoulders with that crowd, eating what is prohibited, and ruining our good name? Not anyone, not everyone is going to understand. Not everyone is going to side with us. Not everyone is going to adopt this this, this mode of operation. Not everyone is going to understand. And there are going to be people that are still going to decide to fight a different fight. They're going to still consider to move forward on the war plan that creates casualties that are deeper and wider than we knew how to prepare for. But some of us, some of us are going to lay asleep at night and go, I got to count the cost. I got to reconsider what's really at stake. And I got to ask myself, what do they matter to me? Thankfully, Peter was the kind of person that decided to do that. And I wonder, Impact, if we can be the kind of people that could be willing and do the work, though it might not go easily, though friends of ours might not understand, though we might get some mean comments. This is forever recorded in history that after Peter preaches a message and Roman centurions come to Jesus, it's recorded forever in history that chapter 11 verse 1 says his friends were ticked. His friends wrote him off. His friends unfriended him on social media. His friends ridiculed him, probably posted horrible memes about him. That's going to happen when you and I decide to make the main thing different than when everybody else is making the main thing. Don't misunderstand. Peter had beliefs and experiences and opinions. He had certain ways that he probably felt about the way Romans treated people. He probably had opinions about the Roman government and about Jewish law. But he didn't let those opinions cross the line to ruin his opportunity to share the gospel with them. And and family, can I just tell you, I have opinions. I have lots of them. I'm a very opinionated person. And left to my own demise, when you come at me, when when I, I feel you challenge me. Without Jesus refining me, I get puffed up. I get louder. I get snarky. That's the way that I'm wired. And Jesus is doing a work in me to teach me how to be humble in those circumstances. But don't misunderstand. I have opinions. I have my worldview and my lens and my experiences. And I have opinions about how I feel about all of it. And in fact, I've had people on the same day, and this is no exaggeration, on the same day when it comes to masks, so one person say, why would you mandate masks? That's unfair. That's, that's, it's, it's tyranny. That's, 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 un, that's not okay. And on the other side, the very same day, why aren't you managing masks more intentionally? Why aren't you for, in, 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 enforcing and imposing that people put them on, looking at them and telling them to put their mask up? You want to know why? You want to know why? Because I'm not going to draw a line in the sand that says I'll only reach you, but I'm not going to reach you because we don't see this the same way. I used to do that. And then God called me to be your pastor. And so things I used to post that just drew right, a thick line right down the sand of what I think and invited you to argue with me or disagree, but this is what I think. And God's changed my heart now when I lead. I'm not going to major on things that could keep me. And my greatest calling is to reflect the love of Jesus. That's my one shot. And I'm not going to take a shot that could take the place of my one shot. And so instead, I'm going to meet... On both sides of the coin, I want to invite everyone. I want to use the the the, the uh, apologetic of kindness and gentleness and authenticity to point people to the story of Jesus. No matter what the issue is, love is our one shot. The book of John, John 13, 35. I'll read it to you. Again, this happens to be out of the message. The message says, this is how everyone will recognize that you are my disciples when they see your vaccination card. (laughs) This is how everyone will recognize that you are my disciples when you show them your ballot card. This is how everyone will recognize that you're my disciples when they see the love that you have for each other. The way that we love each other is it will chase away the doubt 
folks have on the outside of the church, on the outside of the storyline of faith. When we love each other, that's how they will know. No meaning, no longer questioning, no longer doubting. You want to erase doubt in the minds of those that are not in the church yet. John 13, 35 says the quickest, easiest way to do that is to start loving one another in the midst of what you disagree on. Start loving one another well, and you will set an example that shows to them that you really are my disciples. You want to prove that? Then lay up at night asking yourself, well, what, what, what does this person matter to me? What does that relationship matter to me? And maybe we need to shift some of the things, some of the strategies of conflict that we are engaging people in and decide that we're going to rethink what do they matter to me? What do they matter to our Heavenly Father? Love is the bridge that crosses the doubts that they have because of the division that they've seen. And here, I'll say it again, love is the bridge that crosses the doubt that they have because of the division that they see and hear. You want to prove what God can do. John 13, 35 says you don't have to be a preacher or a teacher or an evangelist. You just got to love and that will be an apologetic. That will prove what we believe. I want to show you a video. Those of you listening to the podcast will be at a little bit of a disadvantage because it's a video of of a dad sitting with his deaf daughter on his lap. And that, that daughter has just had the cochlear implants and and they're dialing in her hearing. She's hearing sounds for the very first time. And so much of the power of this is going to be in the visuals. But I'm going to go ahead and play it and do my best to sort of explain what's going on afterwards. So watch this. And if you're anything like me, you're going to want to get some tissues. But, but watch this. Here's something. Cool. Just going to try that again. We'll wait until she gets distracted by the toy. Weird in your head. <laughs> just like head. my head. Responding, hey? It's a little scary. Oh, baby. But are you okay? Yeah. So okay. That's why we want to start off. And this is the list of the map. So we can use Imagine what it would be like for for that dad to know that his daughter finally heard his voice, right? 
he finally heard I love you. He's probably been saying I love you, trying to figure out ways to get his love to, we take for granted, I love you, I love you too. He's wanted, he's, he's wanted so badly to figure out how to tell his baby girl that he loves her and he finally has an opportunity to tell her over and over and over and over again that he loves her. I think the hero in this storyline is not someone that ever made it to the screen and it's who I think we get to be, church. It's the doctor that's off camera a little bit and she's shifting and turning the buttons in order to allow this little girl to settle into what she's hearing and experiencing for the first time and the visual of the videos and then the text that came up speaks to this idea that initially it's overwhelming. You can see it in her face that she's trying to make heads or tails of it, but it's overwhelming to her and she leaps into her dad's arm and buries her head in his his lap or his, his, his neck here and, and the dad has to comfort her because it's just so overwhelming and then when that happens, the, the, the doctor begins, maybe the audiologist begins to dial things in to make it easier for her to experience this love, the voice of her dad, this embrace of her dad from this new vantage point for the very first time. And I, I think about this weekend when I'm, when I'm going to be on stage talking about communion, using language like the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, and talking about taking up our cross daily, denying ourselves, the, the principle of the poor will inherit the kingdom of God, and talking about, the, I mean, just this, all, all the language of the gospel, the Christianese that we use, the I surrender all, and, and the suffering of the gospel, and there's all these language, and there's folks that are trying to engage, but it's overwhelming, it's intimidating, and they don't even know where to begin. We take the storyline, we take the language for, for, for for just we take it for granted but then what we do is I think those little beeps that you heard were instead of turning on the microphone to where she could hear everything she, she just made it to where there were some beeps and so she was hearing for the first time what it might feel like in her body to experience sound and I think that what you and I are invited to do is to dial up the gospel dial up the love of Christ dial up how we how we share the gospel of Jesus Christ in a way that allows sons and daughters of God to hear their father's voice for the very first time and those little beeps I think in the, using the metaphor of those little things that we do, those ways that we love that point people to this new experience that they can they can be invited into this new identity in Jesus, this new place to belong in the family of God, this new this new identity that they can be invited into it because there's a God that wants to look at them and say, "I love you," and He wants for them to hear His voice, "I love you, I love you, I love you." And sometimes before they can hear the Father's voice, they have to have these little impressions that make them comfortable with what's happening all around them and we get the chance to love to establish this foundation where they can begin to look in their dad's eyes and, and absorb all this that's happening for the first time so that God can day after day after day their heavenly father say I love you and we set the stage dialing in the dials so that people can hear about the love of their daddy God the way that we love I believe sets the stage for them being comfortable with how they know God. They'll know we are Christians by our love. We'll be able to establish what we know to be true about God's love in the way we love one another. Man, may we lay up tonight. Go on. What do they matter to me? The people on the other side of that issue. What do they matter to me? The people on the other side of whatever it is. Can I just encourage you to lay up at night restless going, what do they matter to me? Because there's a lot at stake. And I believe the spontaneous explosion of the church taking over this city is going to be when we're able to care more about a soul that just the Father desperately wants to know. And somehow that matters more to us and it's the language that we speak and the one shot that we take more than exploiting the things that divide us. That is the heart of Jesus. And that is what will help an unbelieving world just simply learn how that they can believe. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the one shot that you shared with us Though we were polar opposite from you, though we were enemies of you, though, though we were responsible, we had a direct hand, though maybe not 
there physically, Father. We have over and over and over again re reiterated the reason that Jesus had to go to the cross so we had a direct hand in the need for Jesus to die, a brutal death. And then your one shot was letting the, the sacrifice of Jesus be the thing that would trump all of the things we disagree on, all of the things we've done to stand against you, all of the things that we've done to remind you of how little we deserve your friendship. And yet your one shot has always been love, a love that is good and perfect and pure. And so Father, since your word says it, we believe it's true that those outside of here, well, they'll know more about your love. We will dial in the love of God to them in the way that we love one another. The way that we love is us dialing in the the, 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 the early stages of people imagining the love of God will be in the way that we dial in the love to one another and the, the love to those outside of the walls of the church. Help us to be lovers taking our one shot and not Wasting that shot on an issue, but wasting, wasting, in quotes, that shot on just a radical expression of love. People might not understand. There'll be people that will make issues more important, but may we be a church. That is, that's never so. We just don't give in to the outrage. We don't give in to the polarization. We ready ourselves for the apologetic of love to be demonstrated in us and through us because of Jesus and all for Jesus, for the renown of the love of Jesus, the, the suffering of Christ would be felt and received all throughout this city so that you, God, receive com the companionship and the friendship and the, the son and daughtership that you bankrupted heaven to rightfully earn. It's all for that, we pray. Amen and amen. Uh, love you guys. I'll see you soon. Thanks for joining us this week on Life with Impact. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Life with Impact. And to watch the full virtual service, make sure to check us out on YouTube at Impact CC. Have a great week.